Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. In this message, Pastor Chad Gilligan continues his series called Before and After. Through this series, we will learn about the biblical principle of the change that happens in our lives before God and after his work in our lives. So we've been in a series of messages that we're calling Before and After. We've been in Ephesians chapter 2, and we've been looking very specifically at the difference that is made when Christ comes into someone's life. What's the before and what's the after? What is the change that takes place in that process and in our lives? And today, we're at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, as we wrap up this series. And I'll just, I'll just be honest, this is probably one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. Probably um, one of the verses that I've quoted the most, that I've, that I've used the most, that I've thought of the most in years of ministry, because I believe, uh, here, here's the deal, I, I think this started in my heart when I was a children's pastor and spent nine years in children's ministry, and here, here's what I came to believe, that if you could help a child to understand the truths and the principles of this particular passage of scripture, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, that it would change that child's life that it could change the very direction of their life and ultimately their eternity if they would grasp the truths that are available in this passage of Scripture. Because this verse helps us to see things the way that God sees things. You know, in this before and after series, we've been using kind of as an analogy this idea of a, of a renovation that takes place in someone's home. And there's so many programs on TV right now that, that show this idea where somebody walks in and, and sees something in a home. It's, it's always interesting that, that they'll walk in with the people maybe who will buy the home, and they'll walk into this place that really looks like a mess. Kind of it's outdated or it's, it's messed up or there's, there's so much work that needs done, and the people immediately walk in and they go, whoa, no, I don't think so. We're sure this is not the house for us. Until the designer says, yeah, but can you see this? What if we would do that? What if we would come in and change this and make it like that? What if we did this work and all of a sudden they go, wait a minute. Maybe we, can, maybe we can see that. This verse helps us to have the vantage point, to see things through the eyes of the master designer. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, here's what Paul says. It says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So here's what I wanna do today. I wanna give you four things very specifically about this verse to keep in mind. And as you think about these things today, some of you, as as you write these things down, as you take notes today, I want you to think about this not based on anybody else. So today we're not gonna talk about what these truths mean to you. We're gonna talk about it in the first person. We're gonna talk about what these truths mean to me. How does this affect my life for each one of us? Because I don't want you to think that it just applies to the person sitting next to you. I want you to know that this is for your life today. This is for your home. This is for your experience in your school, on your job, in your family. Today I want to give to you, and I want you to write it down in this way, four things that I must remember about myself. Based on this passage of Scripture, four things that God does not want you to forget, that he wants you to see so clearly, four things I must remember about myself. We begin Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 again. Here's what it says. It says, for we are God's handiwork. It tells us right away who we belong to, who's responsible for this, which leads us to the first thing. Number one, first thing I want you to remember about yourself today, number one, is that I have a great creator. I have a great creator You know, when you watch these home uh, renovation shows, there's always somebody who has the vision. It's usually not the people whose house it is. 
It's usually not people who just drive by, but somebody can go in that place and look at it and go, I, I see something here that, that other people can't see. I recognize what could happen here with the right resource and with the right ability. I see what could be changed here, and they have a master strategy for the design. This is what our creator is. He sees us as his workmanship, and this is where the very foundation of our life has to begin. If your life is truly gonna have meaning, it has to begin with this, that someone can see what needs to happen here, that someone is in control here, that someone has the bigger picture. There is a master designer in this, and if our lives are going to have meaning, we have to begin with this truth as its foundation, that I have a great creator. And that affects us in some ways. See, I'm humbled by the truth of my creator. I'm humbled by the truth of my creator. It causes me to step back, and when I realize who God is, it helps me to really see who I am. Because in light of him, I'm I'm really, um, I'm really humble. See, Ephesians 2.10 is really good because it talks about us and it says that we are God's handiwork. It really kind of encourages us in that truth. But go back and think of it in the context of where we find this verse. Think of verses eight and nine, which are before it. And we looked at that several weeks ago. Look at what it says. Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Think of what he's saying there. Look at what he says about you. He says you need to be saved. There's something so messed up in you. Sin has had such an effect on you that you need salvation, and you're not gonna do it. It's not by your works. You don't have the ability to do it, and you don't have anything to boast about. It's not about you. So if you really dig down to that passage of scripture, it talks to us about how lost we are without God. In fact, here's what Paul goes on to say. Look at verse 12 of Ephesians 2. We looked at this last week. It says, remember that at that time, without God, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. You were without hope and without God in the world. And this puts it all in perspective for us, that left to myself, I am without God and I am without hope. Left to myself, I am without God and I'm without hope. So it's really interesting for me to just get the reality check that without him, I have nothing. It's humbling how much I need him. And yet, right after he helps us to see how much we need him, he goes to great lengths to show us how much he thinks of us. Even in the midst of our humiliation, of the reality that we can't do it without him, he goes right into verse 10 and tells us that you are my handiwork. I care about you. You matter to me. See, the one who gives me mercy sees me in a different light. When I see myself as a failure, when I see my weaknesses, the one who gives me mercy sees me in a different light. So not only am I humbled by the truth of my creator, but I'm also reassured by the truth of my creator. I find confidence to know that I don't have to do this on my own, that I have a great creator. This makes all the difference in how I see my life. I am reassured by the truth of my creator. Let me read for you a passage of scripture from Isaiah 43. For many Christians over the years, this has been a great promise of reassurance. Here's what we read. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. 
When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Our Creator has promised us that he will be with us, that he will guide us, that he will go through life, and we can rest assured that he is by our side. We find great confidence in that. See, in spite of my sin, my failures, and my lack, my Creator calls me his own. In spite of my sin, in spite of my failures, in spite of my lack, my Creator calls me his own. And that's a pretty big deal. Because for some of you, and I know this because I talk to you, when you talk about your life, you don't speak about your life as being a masterpiece. You speak about it as being a mess. You talk about all the things in your life that seem out of place, or the things that you've done, or the things that have been done to you, and when you look at your life, what you see is a mess. Let me give you some encouragement today. God can turn my mess into a masterpiece. That's good news, isn't it? God can turn my mess into a masterpiece. How many of you ever saw a movie in this building before it was a church? Anybody? Yeah, a lot of folks. A lot of folks that come through here have seen. If you remember, out in the atrium, and we've, we've talked about this before, but out in the atrium was a big concession stand that was out there. That big right smack dab in the center of the atrium. They had this large kind of circular concession stand you could walk up to. When we bought the building and went in and began to renovate, we tore that out. And as you can imagine, there were 13 years of popcorn, grease, and Coke spilled all over in there. Yeah, you want to talk about a mess. It was a horror film all of its own, just taking that thing apart. It was nasty. And then we're trying to decide, what do you do there? What, what do you put right in the center there? We had all kinds of different ideas. And we said, what about a fireplace? Oh, that'd be kind of cool. That was a pun, I guess, wasn't it? Fireplace was cool. So, um, so, so we said, what about a fireplace? Well, that, yeah, but what do we do? How, do? how do you make that happen? And this people in the church said, hey, we think we, we think we have kind of a design of how that would work. And uh, I don't know, some of you might know Carl Heiss. Carl Heiss is one of our members here. And Carl was like, well, I, I think I could, I think I know how to make that happen. I'm like, I don't know how you're going to make that happen, but okay. And so Carl got a team together and some guys, like, like you, you saw it in the video where they were putting the, putting the mud on those, on those stone that was there. And you see guys like Dave Hadley and Rich Dominguez and Carl Heiss. And they're, they're, they're putting this thing together. And I remember this was happening like literally the day that we were going to open the building. They were finishing this thing up. And I'm walking up to this thing, and I'm just going, boy, guys, I believe in you. Got my fingers crossed. I believe in you. I believe in you. But it looks like a mess to me. This thing just looks like a mess. And I remember when it was all done, stepping back and looking at what I knew had been there before, looking at the process that I knew it took to get there, and now I look at that thing and I go, that's a masterpiece. Because if you put the project into the hands of the right creator, they can take a mess and turn it into a masterpiece, can't they? That's what it means that we have a great creator. He loves us. And even though it's humbling for us to think about that, it's reassuring for us to know that our great creator can take our mess, he can turn it into a masterpiece, which leads to the second truth that I want you to see about yourself today. Number one, I have a great creator. Number two, I am his work of art. I am his work of art. Just to clarify, that's different than when someone says to you, you are a piece of work. It's a different idea, okay? Piece of work, work of art. God says this. He says that we are his. Well, let's look at it again. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 says, for we are God's 
handiwork. And I love how Paul says that there. What he's saying there very clearly, what he wants us to see and recognize is this, that we are. He does not say some of you sometimes can be. He says some days we might be. He doesn't say it might be possible that you are. He says with confidence assurance, for we are God's handiwork. This is what we are. We state it confidently. Even in those days when we don't feel like it, we recognize that we are a work of art. I can boldly live in my value to God. I don't have to question it. I don't have to wonder about it. When the world tells me something different, I know this, that he has created my life and I am a work of art. The the word that he uses there for handiwork Maybe your Bible might translate a little bit differently. Some places it's translated masterpiece. Some, some places it's translated uh, workmanship. That word is a Greek word, poema, and it means this. The idea is that the creator has taken his full creative powers and he has used them to make something uniquely special. This isn't a project that he just mailed in. This isn't that late night homework project that you forgot about and just had to throw together. No, this is when the creator says, look, I'm gonna take everything that I have, I'm gonna use my very best materials to the full extent of my creative powers. I am going to craft something that will be my handiwork. It will be my workmanship. It will be a masterpiece. This will be a work of art, and this is how Paul talks about you. This is what scripture says about you in Ephesians 2.10. And listen to what David says in Psalm 139. He says this, for you created my inmost being, You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It makes it very clear here that we are specifically, uniquely, powerfully created by God. If that's true then, let me challenge you with a couple of thoughts about yourself. One is this. You need to remind yourself that I am not a copy. I am not a copy of anybody else. God has uniquely made and crafted me. I remember in particular when I was in junior high, high school, college age, I spent an awful lot of my time trying to be like other people. Does that make sense? You would see somebody who you would say was a role model. Now, it's right for you to have people who you can look up to, people who you can in some ways pattern your life after or maybe help to mentor you in some ways. But it's easy for us to go a a long way in the wrong direction in that because we can begin to want to copy other people. Sometimes it's peer pressure. Sometimes it's just not being true to ourselves. This was, this was when I was growing up, high school, college. This was the late 80s, the early 90s. In my quest to, um, to be like other people, I made some fashion mistakes that I greatly regret at this time. <laughs> right? Here's the deal. God created you special. He created you unique. Some of you live under this pressure to try to be like someone else, to try to be like a family member, to try to be like your friends, to try to fit in to the culture around you. And you need to recognize that God has uniquely crafted and created you. He has made you special. You are not a copy of anybody else. Now, for crying out loud, there are some fashion rules we sure hope that you'll follow, okay? (laughs) But understand, God didn't make you a copy of anybody else. He made you you. 
And he did that with great purpose. So you need to remind yourself, one, I am not a copy. Here's a second thing that's really important for some of you to know, that I am not an accident. My life is not a mistake. My life did not just kind of happen. My life has great purpose. I am not an accident. Now, why that's important, and maybe, maybe you've never wrestled with this, but for some people, I'll have conversations with them, and I know very clearly that they question the reason that they even exist. Or they look back and they wonder, did, did my life even matter? Sometimes it even goes back to the circumstances of their birth. Because they've been told, oh, oh yeah, you were a mistake. Or yeah, your life was an accident. Or maybe as they've watched the, the things around them fall apart, they begin to wonder, where did my life even have purpose or meaning? Or where did it come from? Sometimes people say, I think God made a mistake when he created me. I'm not so sure he did this right. You know what these verses tell us? Very clearly, you are not an accident. And let me encourage you with this. I don't know your story, but I can assure you this. Your parents determined the circumstances of your birth, but God determined the certainty of your birth. I don't know how you came into, well, I I don't know the circumstances, (laughs) but I know this, that at some point God said with certainty, that person matters. That person is going to live That person's gonna exist. That person's gonna make a difference for eternity. With certainty, God said, you are not an accident. You are not a mistake. Your life has great purpose from me. So recognize this. As you go through the days of your life, you are not a copy. You are not an accident. You need to tell yourself, I am a masterpiece. I am a masterpiece. And what makes you a masterpiece you know, I, I could, I've, I've been to art museums, I've looked at things, and I've seen some painting. I have absolutely zero artistic ability. And I've seen some things, and I went, well, even I could do that, right? You see some modern art that you're just like, I don't, I don't know what that is. And then you find out that it's, that it's priced at thousands, millions of dollars. What makes the difference between me splattering paint on a canvas and somebody creating a masterpiece? It's when the brush is in the master's hand, isn't it? It's when the master is the one that's designing it and creating it. And you need to understand this. What makes you a masterpiece is when you allow God to do his work in your life. The reason, it is the power of Christ in me that makes me God's masterpiece. It is the power of Christ in me that makes me God's masterpiece. It's not anything you do. It's not anything about who you are. But when Jesus comes and lives in your heart, when he makes that before to after transformation, that's when you clearly become his masterpiece. And it's important for you to see, I have a great creator. I am a work of art. And here's the third thing I want you to see today. Number three, I have a good purpose. I have a good purpose. If you're reading a book, if you're, if you're watching TV, if you go to the movies, there's always some kind of story there, isn't it? And usually it, it revolves in some way or, or another around a mission that the characters are on. There's something that they need to do. And accomplishing that mission becomes the goal, no matter what, of that, of that story in some way. We're, we're gonna see this over and over again in these next few weeks because there's a big movie coming out and we'll be reminded over and over again of the time that this, this lady bends over and she's got like her hair like hamburger buns like this and she reaches out. You know what I'm talking about? And she says, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you are my, thank you, Jedi Master. Yes, you are my only hope. And then the whole rest of the story is what? The whole rest of the story is them trying to accomplish that hope. 
That, that's the whole idea because there's a mission that they're on. That's why we get excited when we watch a movie called Mission Impossible because we want to see, will they accomplish the impossible mission? Because there's a story. Here's what I want you to know about the story of your life. You have a good purpose. That if you're not an accident, that that means on purpose, you have a purpose from God that he determined for you to accomplish. What is it? Ephesians 2.10 says that it's to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says this, In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Why do we do good deeds? Why do we do these good works? It's for God's glory. It's for him to be glorified. Our good works are to glorify God. They are to bring glory to God. So my question is, is your life doing that? In the way that you live your life, is it about bringing satisfaction to yourself? Is it about bringing attention to yourself? Or ultimately, is it about bringing glory to God? Which inevitably always leads to this question. Whenever we talk about something like this, somebody will say to me, but Chad, I don't, I don't know what God's purpose is for my life. I don't, I don't know what he wants me to do. I, I have no clue. I don't even know where to start. If I want God to use me in some way, where do, where do I even begin? And we often think that somehow God's either gonna write it in the sky or he's gonna send us like this 400-page document that's gonna map out the rest of our lives for us. That's what we want, don't we? We want it with certainty. God, just, just tell me what it is you want me to do in the big picture. But this verse says it doesn't work like that. It doesn't say that God's gonna give us clear direction exactly what he wants us to do. What does he want you to do? He wants you to do good works. So if you're struggling, if you're not sure what that is, I think the answer is just start somewhere. If you do not know your purpose, start by doing something good. If you don't know your purpose, start by doing something good. Find some place, because what we do know from his word is what he wants you to do is something good. I love stories of people who say, I, I'm not necessarily sure where I want to get involved, but I'm going to get involved somewhere. And so they start serving in the community in some way, or they start volunteering in the church, or they start reaching out to someone. And what they find in the process, that when they just started doing something because they thought it was good, it became the opportunity for God to unlock something in them that gave them some real purpose in their life that they did not see before. But it never would have started if they hadn't said, well, I'll at least do this. See, God can't lead you if you're not already in motion trying to follow him. And so the key is, if you don't know what your purpose is, just start by doing something good and see how God can use it. See how God can work that out in your life and recognize this, that he's not just, he's not just making this up as he goes along. God has a plan. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. He had this mapped out in advance, Ephesians 2.10 says. Ephesians 1, verse says, Before the creation of the world, he saw you. He knew you. He had a plan and a purpose for your life. God has always had a plan for the church and for my life. It's been mapped out. God has always had a plan for the church and for my life. Sometimes it's kind of hard to believe. You ever watch somebody who, uh, and again, I don't, I don't have any artistic ability, but have you ever seen anybody that, that's maybe painting, they have a blank canvas, maybe it was on a, on a show or a presentation of some kind, and you watch them and they begin to paint. And you don't know what they're painting, and the longer you watch, the more you realize, I have no idea what they're doing. 
I mean, they start with these lines that seem to make no sense. They may start with colors that just don't seem to be understood. But over time, as you watch, what you begin to see is it begins to take shape. And what started out looking like maybe a mess to you ends up being something that you go, okay, I see that. That makes sense. I can see it clearly. And at the end, what you have is a masterpiece. And the truth is, oftentimes, that's what's going on in our lives, that God draws lines or our lives go through these brush strokes that we go, look, I cannot make any sense out of that. That looks dark, that looks crazy, that looks like it has no order to it until you watch it all come together and at the end you say, oh God, what I see here was not a mess, but you creating what you had in mind all along. And oftentimes we begin to think that because maybe we missed it here or we said no to God there or somehow we failed in this place that God's not able then to redeem that. But remember, he takes our mess and he makes it into a masterpiece. And if we'll trust him, we'll see that what we saw as a blank canvas, he already saw as a purposeful plan for our lives. He already knew what he was trying to draw. He already knew what he was trying to design with your life. And so it's critical that you trust him. Now, why is this idea of having a plan so important? because it's already happened to some of you while I've been talking. You've been listening to the voices in your head. And when I talk about being a work of art, you say, I'm more of a piece of work. And you begin to hear the things that other people have said to you. And you begin to think about wasted years. Or you begin to think about bad decisions. Or you begin to think about how you're not like so-and-so, or how your life doesn't have what it should in this way or that way. And these voices, sometimes I believe they come from the enemy or souls. Sometimes I think they come from us and our own doubt and fears. They begin to undermine the truths of God's word. They begin to undermine the truth of Ephesians 2.10. And here's the deal. When I am undermined, I must remember that God has a plan. When I'm undermined, when these voices try to undermine the truths of scripture, I have to remember that God has a plan. But it doesn't just happen when I'm undermined, it also happens when I'm overwhelmed. And when I'm overwhelmed, I must remember that God has a plan. One of the things that's beautiful, you, you don't have this opportunity, but I have this, is sometimes when I'm here in front of you on a Sunday morning, it quickly becomes my therapy session. So thank you very much. And uh, one of the things that happened to me this week was I'm sitting there and I'm looking at this scripture and I'm reading all this about how we are God's masterpiece. And it was, do you ever have those days when things just don't seem to go right? Anybody else, just me? <laughs> and I was having one of those days, and I'm sitting there reading about how God has created me with great purpose, and I just said, God, <laughs> I don't feel like much of a masterpiece because I see all the places where I'm failing, and I see all the places where I'm letting other people down. What's crazy is at least four times this week, people came to me, friends, people that I respect, people that I really look up to, and said to me, I just feel so overwhelmed, oftentimes with good things. But that overwhelming feeling oftentimes can have this crushing effect on our souls. And then it can bring us to a point where we start to question, are things gonna move forward? And even to the point where we wonder, God, are you in control? And here's the deal. When I am overwhelmed, I must remember that God has a plan. I can't see it. I might not be able to fully understand it, but God, I put my confidence in you because even though I feel overwhelmed right now, I've gotta realize that you have a plan and when I submit to that plan, that's where I'll find peace, which brings me to the fourth thing I want you to see today. I not only want you to see that I have a great creator, that I am his work of art, that I have a good purpose, but number four, I must choose to live it out. 
I must choose to live it out. What does Paul say? For we are God's masterpiece, his handiwork, his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to talk about. No, not talk about. To think about? No. Which he prepared in advance for us to do. So I can't just think about it. I can't just talk about it. At some point, I gotta choose to do it. God, if you have a purpose, if you have a plan for my life, then it's up to me to live it out. I must choose to do what I am created to do. See, somewhere, no matter whether you think your skills are large or small, God has you in his toolbox. And he specifically created you with strengths and abilities. And he wants to use you to accomplish his good works, which you can start doing today. You can start moving in that direction today and what he wants to do in your life. And he has given you certain strengths. My strengths are for God's purpose. My strengths are for God's purpose. I had a friend send me an email this week and he said, hey, I gotta fill out this, this, this form, like a reference evaluation type thing. And, and he said, would you, mind, would you mind doing this for me? And No, I'm glad to do it. And one of the questions is, what are this person's strengths? And sometimes that can be really kind of an awkward. Well, they breathe regularly. You know, you're trying to figure out what are their strengths, you know? Um, this guy, it was easy. Because not only did I recognize his strengths, but I see him on a regular basis using his strengths to accomplish God's purpose in his life and in the lives of others. It's a powerful thing. But what I do sometimes is I let my weaknesses keep me from recognizing my strengths. Watch this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse nine. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, finish this with me, then I am. See, the truth is my limits, not just my strengths, but my weaknesses, my limits are for God's glory. Somehow, in the masterpiece that he's created me to be, he uses all of that. See, my life is to be used for him. My life is to be used for him and not to be wasted by distraction or inaction, but rather as I allow him to work in me, then his work can be done. It's, it's a powerful thing. And I want you to realize this because here's the truth. Ephesians 2.10 is not just some kind of verse that was thrown in there so we feel good about ourselves. See, sometimes we look at verses 8 and 9 that talk to us about the power of salvation, and then we think two and ten, verse 10 of chapter 2 is just an aside that's just over there. The truth is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 is the point of the gospel. The reason we are saved by grace through faith is so then that through us the rest of the world can see who God is. See, this is the point. The reason for salvation is so we recognize we are his masterpiece. We are his handiwork. And as a result, then the world will see those good works that come through us. And when they see that, you know what they're going to be drawn to? They're going to be drawn to Jesus. Here's what I believe God has put in my heart. That this December, remember December is a historic month for us as a church. That this December is to be the best December that Calvary Church has ever had. Not necessarily measured in ways that you might sometimes think. Not necessarily by attendance. But you know what I'd love to see? That, this is the, that in this December, more people would come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior than ever before. Not that more people would come to church, but that more people would find Jesus as a result of his church. You know how that's going to happen? It won't just happen by the church doing churchy things. It'll happen by you being his masterpiece. 
by you doing good works which God has created for you to do. And you know what? I hope today might just help to wake us up a little bit to the reality of that. How many of you have ever, ever seen, it's, it's a kid's movie. It came out in 1999, so I don't know if you've ever seen it. A movie called Stuart Little. Does, did anybody ever see that movie about that rat? Do you know that, uh, do you know the movie I'm talking about? Look at that picture for just a moment. Because that's just a, a screenshot from 1999 movie, Stuart Little. But in 2009, there was a guy who worked for an art institute in the nation of Hungary who was sitting on the couch with his daughter whose name was Lola. Lola was in his lap. They were watching the movie, and all of a sudden, this scene came up. And when it did, he almost dropped Lola out of his lap because he recognized that painting. See, that painting was actually painted back in the 1920s, and it was called Sleeping Lady with a Black Vase by Robert Bereni, who was a, a famous Hungarian artist. And the last time that, that that painting had been on display was in 1928 at some art exhibit, and this researcher knew that. He had seen black and white photos of it before. It was considered Bereni's masterpiece, and then it disappeared from 1928 until it showed up on this screen in 1999, and 10 years later, Bereni is sitting during Christmas break, or this, this dude is sitting during Christmas break watching this movie with his kid and sees this picture and says, that's Bereni's masterpiece. And so he, he emails Sony Studios, and he says to them, do you realize that you have uh, this, this painting? I need to know more about it. And it took two years for him to get a response. Finally, he gets an email back from one of the set designers who contacts him and says, I found this painting in an antique shop in Pasadena, which sounds like a country western song, doesn't it? It says, I found this painting in the antique shop in Pasadena, and here's the quote, I paid next to nothing for it. 2009. This dude gets involved. They authenticate this painting a year ago, December 13th, 2014. It went to auction. Do you know what this next to nothing painting sold for? $243,000 that for years lay buried because no one realized that it was a masterpiece. Do you see where I'm going with this? God's work in your life may have for years laid buried because you failed to realize that you are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. So would you stand with me this morning? And here's the challenge that I have for you. You need to recognize my true worth is only found when Jesus is at the center of my life. My true worth is only found when Jesus is at the center of my life. And so would you start maybe doing some, uh, doing some work with yourself? Aaron's gonna lead us in this song that says Jesus at the center of it all. And as we sing this, would you ask yourself, God, are you at the center of my life? Jesus, are you my focus? Do I recognize you as my creator and that I'm your work of art? And if so, what good works is he challenging you to do? Aaron, would you lead us? And would you search your heart as we sing? Jesus, be the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus at the center of it all. Just sing that, make that your prayer. Jesus at 
center of my life. created us to be your masterpiece that you can take our mess and turn it into something beautiful that we're not a copy we're not an accident we are a masterpiece created by you so Lord would you help us to see the good things that you've prepared in advance for us to do and when voices try to undermine them or where circumstances become overwhelming God would you help us to remember you got a plan so as a result, with confidence, we'll choose to walk in it, knowing that we can do what you've created us to do if you are at the center of it all. So now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. Would you send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.